Welcome to Crump Insights, exploring timely life insurance and retirement planning topics for today's forward-thinking financial professionals. In this episode, we'll discuss flexible estate planning. I'm Brian Bushlack, your host for this series and an active life and health insurance producer. Joining us, John Whitaker, JD, Director, Advanced Sales for Crump Life Insurance Services. Well, John, thanks for joining us. What do you mean when you say flexible estate planning? Thanks for having me. So when I say flexible estate planning, what I'm really talking about is an approach. Flexible estate planning is a method that accomplishes the client's financial goals while retaining a certain level of access or control. There is a tension present in most estate plans. What I mean is in general, if a client wants to move assets out of their estate, the tax rules require that they give up control over those assets. So flexible estate planning addresses this tension by providing clients with enough control and access so that they feel comfortable moving forward with their estate plans. And of interest to our audience, another reason clients are interested in flexible estate planning is due to the evolution of life insurance policies and products. More and more products are offering living benefits, such as cash value accumulation and long-term care benefits. So if these kinds of products are placed in a standard irrevocable life insurance trust, the clients may be prevented from accessing the living benefits. So flexible estate planning techniques may also allow clients to purchase these kinds of hybrid products, keep them outside of their taxable estate, and yet still access the living benefits. Now, a lot of conversation about estate planning last year, and it looked like the transfer tax laws might drastically change. Now that we know that the laws largely did not change, I guess the question is, should clients still have a sense of urgency to implement plans here in 2022? Great question. And that answer is yes, definitely. I think about it this way. If clients were eager to plan last year, then they should continue. Their eagerness to move last year when they thought the rules were going to change shows that they realize the planning opportunities provided under the current rules are advantageous. If they were advantageous when we thought there was a ticking clock, well, they're still advantageous now. You know, even though we didn't get the major tax changes last year that we thought we might, changes are still on the horizon. So clients shouldn't just assume that everything is, you know, static. For example, right now in 2022, the unified exemption amount is $12.06 million per taxpayer. But that is still scheduled to be cut in half in 2026, so less than four years from now. Another big issue is valuation discounts. Several years ago, the IRS drafted proposed regulations that would drastically reduce or eliminate valuation discounts, and they could release those regulations at any time. Just because Congress did not take action on valuation discounts last year doesn't mean that the executive branch can't address it this year. The bottom line is that we are at the tail end of the golden era of estate planning. Why is this the golden era? The unified exemption amount has never been larger. Interest rates, which have a big impact on many transfer strategies, are still very low. We still have valuation discounts available. 
So these are all favorable factors for people who wanna engage in high level estate planning, and they may not all be present again at the same time for many years. So honestly, clients will be foolish not to take action in the current environment. Yeah, I like how you put that. Maybe describe some of the techniques, and I know this depends on the estate, the family, the situation. There's a lot that goes into it. So we're generally speaking here, but maybe talk about some of the techniques right now in flexible estate planning. Sure. I think it's easier to understand this if we first kind of break the world of techniques into two groups. So when I think about this, and I put in the first group, I'm looking at entities. So what is the entity that we're using to hold assets? In most cases, this will be a trust. But, you know, one area where you can get flexibility or access or control is by looking at the way that you design the trust or other entities that may hold the assets. So that's kind of group one. Group two then is, now that we know what entity we're going to use, what's the method by which we're moving the assets out of the estate? So the default method is gifts, but there are other techniques available to clients such as loans or sales, and they can use these techniques to move assets out of their estate and potentially get additional flexibility. And lastly, before we dive into the individual structures, keep in mind that, you know, many of these techniques work best in concert. These are not prepackaged deals. It's more like an a la carte menu where advisors help clients mix and match the right combination of techniques to get them where they need to be. So with that kind of overview in mind, let's dive in to the first group I mentioned, which is what kind of entities are we using? So I'll start with one that may actually kind of surprise people. And I'm going to talk about the irrevocable life insurance trust, an insurance only plan. So one thing in our conversation today about flexibility, access, control, those are all great things that of course clients want, but clients also want simplicity. So if you were to ask yourself, what is the simplest estate plan that gives the clients the maximum amount of control? Well, really, it's just to set up a standard islet and buy life insurance inside of it, and that's it. Because the client retains all of their assets in their estate that gives them the maximum amount of control. Because the assets are in the client's estate, they will receive the step two basis adjustment if they qualify. And the client can walk away from the plan at any time, just stop making premiums. And we're prepaying the estate taxes at a discount. Since we're using life insurance, which gives us cash at the moment of death, which is when we need the cash to pay estate taxes, and we get a large death benefit for these small premiums, life insurance is essentially prepaying taxes at a discount. So the islet itself, just your standard basic islet, can be viewed as an, part of a flexible estate plan depending on the situation. If it's maybe in some cases, this insurance only plan makes sense. But let me get on to something else, which I think is what people are more interested in. Okay, that's well and good, but we want an entity that does give us some flexibility in the entity itself. So here, in most cases, we turn to the spousal lifetime access trust, or you'll sometimes see this abbreviated as a slat. All this really is, is an irrevocable trust where it's set up by one spouse, and it's where the other spouse is named as one of the beneficiaries of the trust. So this is only uh, available to clients who are married, but not only do you get to name your spouse as a beneficiary, the spouse can also be a trustee. 
The spouse can also be given a limited power of appointment that gives the spouse the ability to take property out of the trust and give it to somebody else, including back to the person who set it up. So this provides tremendous amounts of access and flexibility because you can make distributions of trust assets straight to the spouse because he or she is a beneficiary. The spouse can use their limited power of appointment to unwind the entire thing. So lots of flexibility here. Now, I also want to say with spousal lifetime access trusts that you always want to make sure you include provisions to address the fact that people don't stay married forever. Divorces happen and sometimes, you know, we usually try to pick the spouse who's expected to live longer to be the beneficiary, but sometimes we pick wrong. So the beneficiary spouse might die or um, there might be a divorce. So the trust will contain provisions that say if there's a divorce, the beneficiary spouse is cut out of the trust. But then we lose our access, right? So what happens there is these slats should also be drafted to include a provision that allows the trustee to make a loan from the trust back to the grantor. And this provides a backup option to access trust assets in case we can't run it through the beneficiary spouse anymore. And one final note about the spousal lifetime access trust, this is a very effective structure for those newer insurance products I was talking about at the beginning. Ones with cash value emphasis or long-term care benefits, very, very effective here because you can just uh, make distributions out to the spouse as needed. John, those are the go-to strategies on entities, and they're certainly flexible. Let's switch now to that second group of techniques that give us flexibility, the method of transfer. So as I said before, the default for transferring assets is to make a gift. However, clients may choose to lend assets to their trust instead of making gifts. Sometimes you'll see this called private finance, private loans, private loan regime split dollar. There's a lot of overlap there. They kind of mean the same thing. Maybe there's a few differences. But the idea is just, hey, instead of making a gift, let's lend the cash instead. So the traditional reason to do this, to make a loan, was to minimize gift taxes. You know, especially when the exemption used to be a lot smaller. You know, maybe we don't want to use it up on these gifts. We'll just do loans. However, another benefit to the loans is that they provide access. A gift is irrevocable. However, a loan creates a string. If the client wants to get their cash back, just pull the string. Have the loan be repaid. Now they get their cash back. So lots of benefits from a loan. Not only do we minimize the amount of gifts we're using, but we're providing access because each loan we make to the trust is essentially another string that we're adding on that we can pull later to get things back. Loans are also good for clients that need to dip a toe in the water. You know, we've been talking a lot for a few years now about using this high exemption amount ever since it was doubled back in 2017. And I think a lot of advisors have experience with talking to clients who have assets and haven't used their exemption, but they're hesitant to move forward. They haven't done any planning. It's hard to say, make a $12 million gift when you haven't done anything. That's a big thing for someone to do to get things started. So sometimes it's easier to let clients sort of get their plans going gradually, dip a toe in the water, in other words. So you could do this by setting up a trust, making a very small seating gift, 
but doing the majority of the transfer by making a loan. Now you have the trust set up, you have the assets in there, and everything is in place. If later the client says, you know, I do like the way this is going and I want to convert this into a gift, or maybe later we, you know, the clock is ticking and the exemption is about to be cut in half again, and they say, okay, yes, we're ready to pull the trigger. All you have to do is forgive the loan. You just cut the string. So you can set up everything now. It is a way to ease clients into it. And then it's, uh, everything is in place to make it much easier to make large last minute gifts if they need to just by forgiving the loan or pieces of the loan. So in addition to loans, clients can also make sales instead of gifts. So this is the same concept, but now we're lending assets instead of cash. So generally, the idea here is to set up an irrevocable trust and to sell an asset to it instead of gifting it. Normally, when you sell an asset, you will trigger capital gains. However, in this technique, the kind of trust you use is a grantor trust with the client as the grantor. As long as the client is making the sale to a grantor trust of which they are the grantor, they'll avoid income taxes because no sale happens for income tax purposes. So these kind of specialty trusts that are grantor trusts for income tax purposes, yet outside of your estate for transfer tax purposes, are sometimes called intentionally defective grantor trusts, or IDGT. You'll see that acronym. So the asset is sold to this intentionally defective grantor trust in exchange for a note. And the note may be repaid in cash, but it also may be repaid in kind. So the ability to repay the note in kind by re, which means paying it by returning an asset instead of cash. This makes it feel very much like a loan structure. You know, I can lend my asset to the trust. The trust can hold it for a number of years and, and collect all of the growth and income. And then when I want it back, the trust just repays the note with in kind with the asset. Yeah, that's a popular option, John. And we want to reiterate that these certainly aren't all of the techniques available, but they are the major ones. And as we've stated before, this isn't a one-size-fits-all. The strategy really needs to fit the client's circumstances and their long-term goals. And in some cases, there are several strategies involved. And with that in mind, John, could you maybe address a specific scenario as an example? Let's just think about, okay, what would be the absolute best, most amount of access we can do for someone. So let's think about a married client who wants the maximum amount of access. What could putting all these pieces together look like? Well, let's start with category one. What's the entity? Where's it going? So since they're married, I'm thinking spousal lifetime access trust. So we'll set up a trust, irrevocable. One of the spouses will be a beneficiary and trustee. It'll be specially drafted though, so it's outside of both spouses' estates. Then we're gonna make an initial seeding gift. We do this to add economic substance to our brand new trust so that we can do bona fide transactions with this. Now we're gonna buy life insurance inside the trust. But hold on, we're gonna pay the life insurance premiums via a private loan regime split dollar plan. So every year when a premium's due, instead of making a gift, the client instead is going to make a loan to pay the premium. In addition, so now we have the SLAT, spouse is beneficiary, we've got the insurance being paid with private split dollar, 
let's do some additional estate planning. Let's move more assets out of the estate. Let's sell assets to the SLAT in exchange for a note. The Spousal Lifetime Access Trust is an intentionally defective grantor trust. So we can do the sale transaction without triggering capital gains. So we'll go ahead and also sell some additional assets to the SLAT in exchange for a note. What have we accomplished with all of these techniques combined together? Well, first, we have reduced the estate with our initial seeding gift. While gifts are not great for flexibility, they do reduce the taxable estate, so they are still valuable. We've also implemented an estate freeze. By selling assets to the SLAT for a note, we have frozen that portion of the estate. For example, let's say I sell $5 million of assets to the trust. In exchange for that, I get a $5 million promissory note. Well, now what's being held in my estate is just that $5 million promissory note. So that is essentially frozen. Meanwhile, the $5 million of assets are in the trust, growing, receiving income, doing what they're doing. And all of that is happening outside of the estate. So that's an estate freeze. We're freezing the estate and transferring the future growth outside. What else have we accomplished? We're prepaying taxes at a discount by using life insurance. As we all know, life insurance, you pay these small little premiums and you get a big death benefit. That death benefit is in cash after you die, which is also what your estate tax requirements are. They're due within nine months of death and they must be paid in cash. So using life insurance is a way to prepay the estate tax at a discount. And of course, we've given them all kinds of flexibility, access and control. They have access to any living benefits on the life insurance policy if they choose to include them. And they also have access to the other assets that were sold to the trust. How do they have access? A bunch of ways. They can make distributions to the beneficiary spouse. The beneficiary spouse can exercise their limited power of appointment and move assets out of the trust to someone else. The trust can repay some of the split dollar notes the loans made to pay the premiums, the trust can repay those notes and those notes can be repaid in cash or in kind. The trust can also repay the installment note on the sale. So that's another note that can be repaid in cash or in kind. And then remember in our SLAT as a backup provision, we also have in there that the trust can make loans back to the grantor. So we can also get them access that way. So that's a way to combine a lot of these techniques together with life insurance planning and estate planning, estate freezes for a married couple while giving them the maximum access. And this is an example that we use all the time for very large clients who want to do large transfers, but fear giving up that kind of control. The key word, obviously, is being flexible. And that's uh, what life insurance allows is the opportunity to do that, right? I mean, and... If down the road, you simply need to add more life insurance, maybe you tweak strategy a little bit, but it still provides that liquidity, right? It does. And the nice thing about this too is, you know, with life insurance and split dollar life insurance, one thing we're usually thinking about is an exit strategy. Those loans to pay the premiums do charge interest and the trust should pay interest on that. And after a while, after the loans pile up, that interest can be quite high. So combining techniques like this, selling assets to the trust in addition to the split dollar, we can then use those assets down the road to roll out of the split dollar plan and keep those loan interest costs down. 
So there's just so many benefits, you know, a lot of times people think about doing, you know, one thing or the other, but when we combine them like this, things really do work together in concert quite well. No question about that. There are so many complicated strategies out there that do work, but many times it's often (laughs) the best strategy being the simplest and the easiest to implement. Well, John, we appreciate your insight and thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And it was great to be here today. Crump Life Insurance Services, a leading third-party distributor and service provider of insurance and retirement products, is part of Truist Insurance Holdings Incorporated, the seventh largest insurance broker in the world. Crump supports the distribution of life insurance, annuities, long-term care, linked benefits, disability, and health products with the industry's premier sales and back office support and technology services. Marketing under the following brands, Crump, Truist Life Insurance Services, Risk Rider, TELUS, and Time. Source, Business Insurance Magazine, using 2019 brokerage revenue generated, 2020 issued. For financial professional use only, not intended for use in solicitation of sales to the public. Not intended to recommend the use of any product or strategy for any particular client or class of clients. For use with non-registered products only. Crump operates under the license of Crump Life Insurance Services Incorporated. Arkansas license number 100103477. Products and programs offered through Crump are not approved for use in all states. Copyright 2022, Crump Life Insurance Services Incorporated.